everyone and welcome to the EdTech Podcast and a big hello to the many new subscribers that we are welcoming this month. For anyone new, our mission is to improve the dialogue between ed and tech for better innovation and impact. And in these times of COVID, we hope to be especially of use. You can follow us on Twitter at Podcast EdTech or on LinkedIn via our page. Is anyone else finding that if you're working during these months and weeks, work has ramped up even more? I'm currently trying to squeeze in report writing in the early hours and evening hours around a young baby and then my husband recently fractured a bone in his elbow so he has suddenly become exempt from changing nappies, lifting anything or driving. So it's all a bit fraught here but I've been lucky enough to have my parents to the rescue this week. So here's to all the parents and here's to you if you're working at 100 miles an hour and questioning if you're getting anything done. In short, yes you are and well done. This message also goes to all those schools and colleges and students currently musing on A-level and vocational qualification announcements as we record this. We'll have more on that on another podcast, but my question to the EdTech and Ed sector is, isn't assessment meant to be the one area that EdTech can help with? So, what's gone wrong and how would you fix it? Answers on a postcard, please, to speakpipe.com forward slash the EdTech podcast, where you can record your message. Okay, this week's episode is another one of our special features sharing the work of EdTech demonstrator schools and colleges in England. The EdTech demonstrator programme is a network of schools and colleges across England who exhibit effective practice in the use of technology. The demonstrator schools and colleges involved in the programme provide professional development and support, focusing initially on supporting the effective delivery of remote teaching practices to schools and colleges across the country. So I'll leave the intro to uh, the DfE EdTech Regional Lead for London, Chris Baird, who does a fantastic job in this recording to set everyone up. But this really is such a useful episode for anyone listening in around the world, thinking about planning for a successful new school term after the holidays. In this episode, guided by Chris, you'll hear about ideas to support senior leaders and educators as schools manage social distancing in their learning context, consolidating online support for those students unable to return to schools and colleges. So, for example, those that may be continuing to shield, building on progress made with remote learning and ensuring the momentum for strategic change in the use of technology is maintained in the autumn term and beyond. So kudos to Chris Baird for the Brian Eno-style opening with some nice uh, ambient uh, music. And kudos and hello to past podcast guests from Shackwell Primary School, uh, who I've had the the pleasure of visiting in the past and who are one of the very few number of schools in the UK I know to have hosted Tim Cook from Apple in past times. You can find out more about how to collaborate with EdTech Demonstrator Schools and Colleges at uh, edtech-demonstrator.org lgfl.net or listen in as Chris gives a very clear introduction but before all that don't forget that if you find yourself more in a reading mood this week you can catch up with our latest blog by Dr Vicky Cameron who is talking about her different roles in education and coming to a realisation about the use of data to better build school teams. Here she is to share more and guide towards uh, the blog this week. Hi, this is Dr. Vicky Cameron from PeopleBench. I've just written a blog titled The Gap in Education Workforce Decision Making and Why Data-Driven Insights Are Key to Elevating Student Outcomes. What I share in this blog is my journey through education and my learnings about how to build better school workforces. 
I hope you enjoy reading it. Okay, thanks, Vicky, and thanks, Chris, and thanks to all the schools sharing their thoughts this week. Here we go. Okay, well, welcome, everybody. Um, Thank you very much for taking some time out of your busy, busy afternoons and days to to join us today. Um, My name's Chris Baird. I'm the London Regional Lead for the EdTech Demonstrators Programme. Um, We've got a fantastic session today with all four of the London EdTech Demonstrator Schools present, um, hoping to give some some wisdom and insights about their journeys and all of the the hurdles that they've faced and overcome over recent months and previously, uh, all in the hope of being able to to pull together and create some some great impact and plans um, for a successful uh, September and a new school year. Um, so I mentioned, obviously, my, my name and my role as in the EdTech Demonstrators Programme. For those of you that maybe haven't um, joined the programme yet, um, we would encourage you to, to look into the EdTech Demonstrators Programme. And to tell you a little bit about that, um, the EdTech Demonstrators Programme is a fully funded programme by the Department for Education, which is providing peer support and mentoring for eligible schools and colleges in England. And so by eligible, uh, if you're a state funded and state maintained school and college or a multi-academy trust, you can join the program and receive mentoring and training from other teachers and other educators, hopefully just like yourselves, that have been in very similar positions to yourselves at some point. Um, All of the schools around the country um, and and colleges have been using um, EdTech in, in what we would consider to be best practices. And we could say for all intents and purposes could be seen as centres of excellence and have really good understanding and insight and expertise in helping others to understand the benefits of of using uh, these enabling technologies for teaching and learning. Um, We certainly understand that there's been some challenges um, over just the recent months. And um, we understand that that you guys, the uh, altruistic army, of educators in, in England really would benefit from some support. Um, most of you are facing uh, very uh, steep challenges when uh, trying to adapt to new norms, particularly exacerbated by COVID-19. And um, for some of you, maybe schooling has been in almost near stasis, um, perhaps with some students and learners without much access to devices at home. Um, and this has all placed enough pressures onto parents um, to, to cooperate more with schools and provide uh, a viable education experience for our children. Um, so this programme, as I said, the EdTech Demonstrators programme is coordinated by London Grid for Learning, the Education Foundation and Sheffield Hallam University. And as I said, it's all about connecting uh, schools uh, and educators with other schools and educators Um, who are committed to highlighting the benefits of education technology at every step. And so today's session is really about hearing from London's EdTech Demonstrator Schools. So we have colleagues from Cheen Common Junior. We have colleagues from Reach Academy in Feltham, Heronsgate Primary School in Greenwich, and Shacklewell Primary School in Hackney. Um, So without further ado, what I'd like to do is hand over to uh, Graham McCauley uh, from from Cheen Common Junior to to have a quick introduction about his school and uh, and their journey to date. Over to you, Graham. 
Super, thanks, Chris. Uh, so, as Chris said, uh, my name is Graham McCauley, and I'm the Director of Technology for Learning here at the Leo Academy Trust. Uh, we're a uh, mat in South London with six academies uh, spread across seven sites uh, with just over three and a half thousand pupils. Over the last uh, few years, we've been working really hard to try and use technology across all of our sites to develop the fantastic teaching and learning that already um, happens on a daily basis. We were presented with a number of challenges a few years ago in terms of um, our thinking and we had to really make a, a hard decision about how to develop teaching and learning for all of our children with technology. And we had really we had two options. We either had to continue doing what we've always done, even though we possibly knew that it wasn't the right thing to do, or we had to really think differently and innovate and overcome uh, challenges with a, a very much a, a fresh approach. Traditionally, in all of our schools, we had the same challenges that all of your schools were faced in terms of finance and, and uh, pupil funding. The local authority was changing its role. Um, and in terms of IT and systems, we were having a much greater responsibility for that internally. Staff across the organization wanted to collaborate, but ultimately, the IT systems didn't allow us to do that. And I guess most importantly, we had no real direction for where we were going. Our approach to technology was, if it works, great. If it doesn't work, replace it with something that does work and, and kind of carry on. And at this point, we, we, we thought very hard about what to do. And we decided that uh, cloud-based working and moving to the cloud was the way forward. Uh, and so we went for a, a huge piece of work about moving people to the cloud. And we, we adopted G Suite as our core platform. But actually, at the time, we looked at Apple. We also looked at Microsoft. Um, to ensure that whatever we did was the best, uh, most suitable solution for all of our children to which we serve. We spent a lot of time working with all of our stakeholders, members of the board, uh, school leaders in schools, principals. Uh, and I guess most importantly, we spent a lot of time working with children to say, how does technology help you learn? And actually, the challenge was to capitalize on that and make sure that we did um, more of that and perhaps didn't use technology in ways that, that didn't work. And Having done all of that cloud migration uh, and teacher um, kind of work, we then moved our focus to children. How do we develop the use of technology for our children? And now we're in a position where we're rolling out um, a one-to-one -one program for every child within the trust. So every child will have a Chromebook for September um, that we fully fund. There's no parental contributions. Children take those home. We ensure them. They use them. Uh, all the time. And, and of course, it's also important to say that our digital transformation isn't just about G Suite or Chromebooks. It's also about the wide variety of other resources that we use to help with our teaching and learning, whether that's CPOMS as our cloud-based child protection safeguarding management system, whether it's uh, pedagogy type tools, things like schoolexams.co.uk, uh, Adobe Creative Cloud that we get via uh, LGFL, and all of the other teaching and learning tools that we use uh, to develop teaching and learning. So we're really looking forward to share, sharing some of this, our stories and to answer some of your questions later. Thank you. Thanks very much, uh, Graham. Now, perhaps I can hand over to our newest of the EdTech demonstrators, um, Ed from Reach Academy Felton. Why don't I, you take over? Hi there, yeah. So my name is Ed Van Kerr and I'm the executive principal here at Reach. So we're, uh, we're an all-through um, school that opened in 2012. So we've got two-year-olds in our nursery and we go right up to A-level. Um, and we've had, I think, a fairly consistent journey with with our IT. Um, we work with Google, um, and we've and, and that's been something that has, has served us well. Um, we've used Google Classroom in secondary quite quite a lot in primary to, to for homework and to work with parents that way. Um, we've had um, a lot of impact in terms of the quality of teaching um, around using visualizers, and that's a particular focus of ours because we find that makes a huge difference to modeling and feedback and so on. 
Um, and then in this period, um, we've really kind of invested heavily in sort of remote learning and remote provision. Um, our teachers have been quite heavily involved in, in developing resources and lessons for Oak Academy. Um, and we've and we've we've been able to keep our pupils learning with kind of direct instruction via video, kind of all the way through the shutdown. Um, my colleague Harpreet will be able to talk a little bit about that. You okay to take over, Harpreet? Yes. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, my name's Harpreet Dillon, and I am the maths lead at Reach Academy. I've been teaching online since the very first Monday that lockdown began, and I'm working at the moment to produce lessons for the Oak Academy National Academy which is what we've used quite a lot recently. So initially we started producing our own videos. So all our teachers had to become, over the weekend, had to become really good at making videos, editing videos, um, using Google Classroom religiously. And luckily because we had set up Google Classroom before lockdown, um, as it was part of homework practice, and that's how we used um, to send homework home to children on a Friday regularly, um, they were comfortable using Google Classroom, which meant during lockdown, we continued with that. And um, the use of Google Classroom has only got stronger since we started in lockdown. And children have also become really good at emailing directly teachers and asking questions. So we feel over the lockdown period, um, these forms of communication by email and Google Classroom have become much, much stronger. Um, so, yeah, we will definitely be talking more about um, what we've done, um, but also what we hope to do in September later on. Thanks very much, Harpreet. Um, perhaps I can ask colleagues at Shacklewell Primary to, to introduce themselves as well. Thanks, Chris. Um, hi, my name is Rory. I'm the head teacher here at Shacklewell Primary School, um, which is a school in Hackney, and I'm here with my deputy head. Hi, I'm Cassie. Um, I, as Rory said, I'm the deputy head here, but we also are part of a federation of three schools. So I work on the digital strategies team across the three schools in the federation as well yeah so the the federation is um called the new year federation and it's um three um local authority controlled schools in hackney and we've got about 1600 pupils on roll across the three schools um and they stretch from two-year-old up to age 11 um and whilst we'll go into more detail as we go through the webinar just as a brief outline um our edtech journey started a long time well for us a long time ago in 2011 uh where we were given devices and told basically to get on with it and to do something with them and um as perhaps you know we'll, we'll discuss as we go through today that's actually not the best way to do something and, and it's that vision and that drive and that that inbuilt um natural desire to do something as a leadership team that actually made the difference so whilst having the hardware thrust upon us started a conversation it wasn't actually the thing that made the difference and it's been a really slow and steady development for us to make sure that we have got the right decisions and the right people and the right kit in the right places to make the progress that we need and to have that impact on the, the children's learning and um, to give you a sort of quick snapshot of our current position we now have one-to-one -one provision across all three schools in year four to six and those children take those devices home and they access um, G Suite. So we're also uh, used in G Suite and Google Classroom to manage learning and to, to administer uh, different types of uh, differentiated activities. Um, we also have a, a, a suite of Chromebooks that the children use um, for different types of activities. And all of our teachers here have iPad and pencil so that their learning and their, their modeling matches what the children need to uh, use. 
Kirsten? Um, we're Apple Distinguished Schools, so we're recognised for our innovative practice um, for teaching and learning with Apple products. So uh, we, our children use iPads, and as Rory said, our, t- our teachers use iPads as well. We really believe that giving children digital devices um, helps to engage learners across the curriculum, and it's used as a, a tool for learning, um, much as you might have a textbook in a maths lesson, you, your iPad is, is used in a, in a similar way. It's part of our classroom resource um, and it has been incredibly beneficial now um, responding to the pandemic to have these digital devices and online learning platforms that we are able to then um, help facilitate learning at home mm. as well. Fabulous. Thanks, guys. Um, and then last but not least, can I ask Tim from Heronsgate to, to jump in and introduce yourself, please? Hi everybody, so um, my name is Tim Lins and I'm Director of IT here at Heronsgate Primary School. Um, we're a four-form entry school in South East London, we're a state school. We've got two, two campuses, one bigger one in West Thamesmead and one little one in Woolwich, which I'm currently sitting in right now. Um, my school, I'm, I'm going to go back further than anyone else. We've actually, since I started here as an NQT in 2008, there was already quite a history of IT being used um, so when I joined, we got the the NACE ICT mark. I don't know if you still remember that thing. So um, so we've been trying to do something with technology for quite a long time. Um, and then in 2010, I took on being IT coordinator. And at that point, the role was called the strategic development of ICT manager, which is quite a mouthful. But um, it kind of reflects that we weren't just trying to use technology, but take it forward and how's it going to develop. Um, in the time since then, um, introduced using um, Macs across the school and then iPads as they came out. And we got to the point where we had developed a culture where, as well as learning how to use ICT, we were, or we're using ICT for learning. So it's this idea that it's a tool to help you learn across the curriculum in many different subjects. And we just reached the point where we just didn't have enough devices that teachers were kind of fighting over class sets. So we um, went one to an iPad in Key Stage 2 in 2016 and then in Key Stage 1 in 2018. And then in uh, September of last year, 2019, we were recognised as an Apple Distinguished School, which kind of just reflects the journey of how we've um, used technology to transform the way kind of teaching and learning happens. Um, We use a learning platform called Shobi to manage that learning in school, but actually it's been fantastic for home learning as well because it's got a, a web version of the app as well. So we're able to make use of the fact that all our students knew how it worked, all our teachers knew about it, and they, we could um, <clears throat> engage with students at home, providing three 30-minute activities, English, maths, and a creative curriculum activity. And actually, we've seen really high engagement. Nearly 90% of students logged on and got involved. And that's actually been really useful as the schools reopened because we end up with this mixed model where some kids are at home, some kids are at school, teachers are teaching some classes and other things as well. Thanks very much for that, Tim. I'm going to let um, our final speaker also introduce herself as we we, we sort of overlooked her, unfortunately, when we started. And I'm actually going to kick off the questions with you, Rachel. So maybe after you've you've given a very short introduction, you could help us to sort of ponder and answer the question. Um, What are the elements of a successful return in September? Yeah, of course. So, hi everyone. Uh, my name is Rachel Kotap. I uh, joined Leo Academy Trust uh, during the lockdown, so it's a very, it's been a very exciting time uh, for me. So, I joined uh, just after the April half term uh, when Leo was very much in sort of full light of using. Um, 
Google and um, setting up their distance learning site. And I'd very much been sort of active in seeing their all of their online lessons that had been shared on Twitter. Um, I'd followed Graham. I'd um, seen him present at Google on numerous occasions. Um, and I had been delivering training um, across Europe um, as an uh, as a Google certified trainer and innovator, so you know I'd seen so much practice around the world of how different schools were using um, G Suite, and it was really nice and refreshing to actually be able to uh, get a position within Leo Academy Trust and continue to drive forward uh, the use of technology, uh, and especially within uh, a Google Reference School, they've done so much uh, incredible work in terms of the use of um, setting up a platform that enables all pupils to access learning, especially during this time. Uh, so they made all of their lessons available across the across the globe. So we've actually seen pupils um, from every country in the world uh, accessing uh, our distance learning, which has just been such a joy uh, to continue to support our teachers in that. Um, so I'm very excited to be a part of the demo program. Um, so in terms of sort of coming back to your question, Chris, um, I think the key thing uh, in terms of sort of getting going um yeah, I think when schools are thinking about how September is going to look, I think what's really key to remember is to not allow uh, any gains that have happened during this. I know a lot of schools have sort of taken bits and pieces and, and thought, okay, this is a, an effective strategy. We'll get our pupils onto an online platform to deliver some live lessons or some recorded lessons. Uh, and the easy thing to do is just to simply go back to the way things were pre-lockdown. Uh, and I think it's very important for schools to really think, okay, this is what we've been able to do in, in such a short notice and such a short period of time. How can we actually look ahead and where is it that we want to go during this time? Uh, and how can we continue to drive forward our use of uh, technology within the classroom and using that to support all learners as well? I know for us, we've seen a huge uh, growth in some of our pupils that sort of struggled in the classroom but actually have really benefited from this um, way of learning online. I don't know, Graham, if you want to add anything in there as well. Yeah, so I think I, I totally agree with everything you said, Rachel. I think it's also about recognising that we're going to be in a unique position and actually it, that's to say that we haven't got out of lockdown and a local uh, lockdown is is possible um, and so we've been you know thinking about what that might look like how do we in, implement hybrid teaching and learning straight away and certainly through the demo program that's a conversation we've been having with lots of schools um, and schools across across Europe about how do we respond to the, the imminent uh, challenge of a local lockdown so I think it's about reflecting as Rachel sort of talked about but also kind of being open-minded about that we're you know we're not out of the tunnel quite yet. Okay so this is a really neat point to, to ask um, a couple of poignant questions around this idea of a digital strategy, right? Rachel touched on it. Um, I'd like to ask Tim at Heronsgate, um, can you talk a little bit about what, what it means for having a digital strategy in school? And, and I guess, crucially, when's the right time to get a digital strategy in place? Um, I, was, I was joking just before this that the answer is six months ago that you want to get a digital strategy together because actually... Um, that everyone does things using computers now. That's how adults, we basically run our lives using our smartphones and actually we need to be making sure that that 
we are making the most of those technological gains in our schools. And if you don't have a strategy, then I guess the best um, time is to start now if you haven't already got one. Um, but what does it what does it mean to have a digital strategy? Well, I, I guess it's about um, being able to answer the why question of why do you want ed tech in your school? So rather than starting with, we're going to get some Chromebooks, that's our digital strategy, because actually that's that's not really a strategy. That's just, um, um, you know, anyone can buy some computers, but it's, how, you know, what are you going to do with them? So it's starting with that why question. Why do you want ed tech in your school? What, what are you trying to accomplish? And if you're able to answer that why question, then you can look at the how and then you can look at the what. So um, if I kind of give an example from many years ago, um, back in 2010, looking at our aging ICT suite that was kind of dying on its feet, um, the, answering the question of well, wh why is it there? And actually it boiled down to we need to teach our, our ICT curriculum. So we need to be able to, um, the computers need to work when you walk in, that you need to be able to edit some videos occasionally. So it just needs to have a bit more capacity. And then from that, we're able to, um, figure out, you know what, actually we're going to get some Macs in there because we can do the, the AV stuff at that time and kind of reliable and long lasting. And so if you start with what are you trying to accomplish? Why are you doing this? The next steps start to emerge. And so it's being able to articulate um, your why and get that really firm. And then you'll find that kind of the next steps become a lot more obvious rather than deciding on the steps and then trying to figure out where you're going afterwards. Thanks, team. That's really insightful. And that, that, that why question is really important. Why are you planning on using this technology or this particular tool for the, the objective that you have? Um, I'm, I'm going to take a slightly different approach in terms of this similar question and come to Rory and Cassie now as um, SLT at Shacklewell. Um, perhaps you can give us some insights into where you see digital strategy fitting into the culture of senior leadership and how that's sort of manifested over your, the, the, the pathway of your journey. Um, so I think that the key thing I would say is, I know um, we've already heard a lot about vision, and I think that the, thing, the only thing I would add to that is that it's about the, the leaders who are driving that vision have to be um, prepared to take risks and innovate themselves. It, it's all well and good suggesting to the teaching staff that they must you know, try iPad or use Visualizer or use a Chromebook, whatever it might be, your direction you're going in. But you have to be head teacher, deputy assistant, you know, middle leader. You have to be prepared to go into that classroom and deliver that content so that your colleagues can see that it's a... Uh, a whole school community that's driving it, but equally that if you can do it, they can have a go as well. So I think you've really got to sort of walk the walk uh, when you've come up with your vision and make sure that your colleagues know as a senior leader that you're ready to innovate. And, you know, how, how we can point to that in, in our three schools is the fact that, um, you know, Cassie herself is um, an Apple Distinguished Educator, so she's she's got that very uh, sort of rarefied qualif qualification. Um, and we also have a fleet of... Um, uh, Google certified educators who are senior leaders and also Apple teachers. So we've really invested time in making sure that the leaders in the school really embody and exemplify the, the culture of innovation with technology. Yeah, I think it's that um, we, it's present for everybody and that the, it's not left to the computing subject leader mm. to implement a digital strategy and, and your computing curriculum is very different to what your digital strategy is mm. and you know your digital strategy and the tech innovation opportunities with ed tech can feed into your whole strategic school development plan because if you see technology as a tool for learning but also you know as Tim said how we use computers in our lives all the time it's part of our environment it's 
part of our instructional practices and then it's part of teaching and learning mm. all of the senior leaders need to buy into that mm. for it to then be um as effective as it can be and have there been any any sort of first steps that you you could sort of suggest maybe other teachers and educators think about what the slt think about when wanting to to put in place this digital strategy beyond what we've said about vision and, and creating a why to me it's about it's it's physically having the skills so if, if you are you're going to go and you know present to the staff that you all want them to start picking up keynote as your mode of delivering teaching well you know like anything in a school the leaders have to be able to do that because ultimately we will be held to account and there will be no drive to achieve if the leaders themselves can't do that so you know we invested at various different points across our journey in specific training either in-house or from external sources so that leaders could be um models and, and demonstrate and you, you have to be able to lead the culture of the school, not just come up with a vision. You have to be able to actually physically do the thing. So for us, it's about having um, practitioners in all aspects of the, the, the sort of levels within the school who can really exemplify and physically do the things that we're asking the school to go forward with. Absolutely. I mean, it doesn't come without its challenges, right, in terms of m- making sure that, you know, not just the children, that no one's left behind, but but staff and, and other members of faculty, right? That everybody understands that this is a team effort to, to, and, you know, that everybody should be able to be, uh, be able to rely on SLT to help them over these particular hurdles, sure. I guess. Um, I mean, I'd like to come to, to, to Graham for a second and ask, you know, in, in, in Chim's experience, um, why do you think it's been quite difficult for, for a lot of schools to, to get an approach in place. Um, what are some of the sort of factors that, that you've seen in terms of maybe some of the work with the demonstrator schools that you're, or the, the, the schools that are looking for support from demonstrator schools? Why do you think a, a few of them have had challenges in trying to establish a digital strategy and a, a plan for moving forward? Yeah, no, I think it's, it's really simple, actually. Change is hard, right? Like, whether that's a technology change, whether that's something about a change of a curriculum, staffing restructure, change is really difficult. And I think um, this is one of the successes of the Demonstrator Programme, is that we can provide support to schools making changes, um, whether that be, for examples, of schools that have done uh, something similar, whether it's about signposting people to uh, resources, training, webinars, uh, recorded content, whether it's that kind of one-to-one mentoring, we can support people through that change management process. And I think uh, for a lot of schools, it's really hard to do those changes when um, you kind of weigh up the pros and the cons. And actually, for a lot of people, you might think that actually your pupil uh, end of key stage attainment is really high. Quality of teaching might be high. uh, You might have a uh, kind of financially sound um, budget. You might also have, um, you know, good teacher retention. And actually... To put, to put technology in some schools can be that kind of final bit that perhaps actually could start to cause problems. And I think that's part of the problems in terms of implementing tech in schools. It's about uh, the leadership and making sure we've got that courageous leadership that is driving about enhancements to tech. Uh, to teaching and learning and when we speak to any of our demonstrator schools we're, we're very clear that this is about teaching and learning and this is about impact on children and actually as, as lots of people have said uh, so far this afternoon that you know I totally agree with it's it's not about the Chromebooks or the iPads it's about the, the strategy and the vision and I think um, for some schools it's very easy to sort of jump into operational decision making should we purchase Chromebooks should we purchase iPads do we use smart notebook do we use this resource and actually I think 
it's often about taking that step back first before you have those sort of conversations to look at actually what do we want teaching and learning to look like across your organization and it's and it, you know it's it's fine for that to take time um we were in a very fortunate position that we spent um two years working with stakeholders to form our digital strategy and i i say we're fortunate because i realize lots of schools perhaps aren't in that position at the moment and actually there's a a, a real need to to deliver change and to enhance outcomes and experiences as quickly as possible um but i would 100% echo what everyone else has said about, you know, making time for that vision, that strategy before kind of jumping into decision making. Um, and I think the, the other the other um, sort of uh, challenge that we're seeing from a lot of the demo- schools that we're supporting on the demonstrator program is where do I begin? Where do I start? You know, I, I see this on Twitter. I see schools down the road doing this. Do we do paper? Do we do one to one? Do we do we give access to, you know, so we we procured uh, internet access for every child, so we know that all of our three and a half thousand children have got access to internet. Is that important? Is that is that not important? And I think, from my experience, it's just about being really clear about what you want to achieve, what is your number one priority, and focus on that. Because it's sometimes, um, you know, we're only we're only humans, and I think that there is a lot to do in some cases. And I think just just having a real priority is what's the number one thing that we need to do to start with. Um, and really focus on that rather than sometimes get distracted by all of the noise out there about should we be doing this, should we be doing this. Um, but all of these challenges are overcoming, and that's exactly the purpose of the Demonstrator Programme, to, to help schools overcome these. They are surmountable, and, and you're absolutely right. Um, you know, Understanding what your why is or being able to come up with a, an effective why statement, that should hopefully um, you know, succinctly uh, it's it's really interesting that it seems like I mean there's there's a whole load of cliche things that I could say that success is ten years in the making. That to me is, feels like what what edtech has been like for essentially the last ten years. Um, it's sort of moving and evolving at incremental paces, and and it's actually been only really in the last few months that it's become part of mainstream consciousness. I, I, I'm, uh, I remember a, a, an edtech conference that I joined a few weeks ago, where um, for anybody that's you know nerdy like this, there's there's something called the technology adoption curve, and um, this this conference basically showed or, or put forward a point that uh, edtech has leaped and advanced a, along the technology adoption curve by maybe five or ten years in just as many weeks because of, of, of the scenario that we're in at the moment. Um, I'm going to take a pause from, from my scheduled questions just to sort of start diving into some of the, um, the questions that are coming from the audience. And there are great, great ideas um, being shared. And, and then I'm going to ask Ed to perhaps ask, answer the first question. So this is coming from Susan. Um, forgive me, Susan, for not knowing your last name yet. Um, you, you're saying that one of the problems highlighted during lockdown has been the large number of parents who have felt unable or unconfident to encourage their children to learn. And this has been especially difficult for the most disadvantaged families who may have the, the least access or likely access to, to digital tools. Um, Ed, perhaps you can speak of how uh, Reach and, and your team are, are addressing that um, as part of your digital strategy. Yeah, totally. Thank you. So, I mean, I think it's such a live question. We actually handed out every device we had in school. So um, we're, we're hoping next Thursday and Friday to get all, most, many of them back. So 350 Chromebooks were, were handed out to families. Um, I think that we've been surprised that some of our pupils' most basic um, I, ICT skills, rather than computer science skills, but ICT skills around clicking on a hyperlink and those sorts of things. They didn't, not every pupil had that, especially the pupils who joined us this academic year, so in year seven. 
um, and, and elsewhere in the school where we'd had pupil mobility. I think we, we've helped some families access um, the internet. In most cases, what has been important for us has been providing flexibility. So there weren't actually, you know, we're a community where 50% of our families are eligible for the pupil premium, but we didn't have that many families who didn't have any devices and didn't have um, any connectivity. The problem often was that pupils were sharing devices or, or, or else that, it, the, 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 there was there were challenges around kind of the environment, and so we've worked with families individually to kind of address those. I think I think the other thing that maybe Harpreet can talk about is we've worked very hard to create kind of simplicity in the experience parents and pupils are having. And Harpreet can talk about how we've done that. But 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 for me, uh, as a parent of a child in year one and year five. Um, I think you know this has just been an incredibly stressful period for parents, uh, and one of the things that's been helpful to us about one of the things that we felt was important was actually providing kind of video lessons where the exposition was delivered by the teacher and um, felt important. Um, my wife is not a teacher and was sort of confronted with a grammar activity for my year five son where there was a worksheet for for him to fill out. He didn't understand it, and she honestly didn't understand it, and they had a kind of very stressful half hour trying to work through it. So we've tried to create simplicity for parents, but we've also tried to um, take the pressure off them by by providing some of that exposition ourselves. Harpreet, do you want to talk a little bit about how we've kind of set things up and the consistency for, for parents? Yeah, so um, Ed firstly mentioned the flexibility element. So if families are working from home, obviously their schedules and routines are slightly different to how they might be at school. So we have a strategy where we post um, in the morning and that's the morning work. So the children can do the maths and English in the morning. And then we have afternoon humanities or foundation. And even though it's afternoon work, we post it around uh, 11 a.m. Just so the children can either complete in the morning if they prefer to work hard in the morning or they save it for after lunchtime. So we've given them flexibility rather than sticking to hard rules about when the work needs to be completed and handed back to the teacher. Um, in terms of uh, access, so the thing we found and we learned through errors uh, initially is when you, you, know, you suggest them to do things and then you realise you've got 10 emails where they say, oh, I can't find this, I don't know how to do this. So actually, we just become really good at, if we're going to introduce something, we always, always do like a mini tutorial. So I will do a Zoom call and um, record my screen and say, this is what you do, this is how you link this, this is how you take a picture, this is what you do, and then you send this email, this is how you touch it, and then your teacher sees this. So everything has been very step-by-step tutorial, and that's something that A, either the child watches, and if they're good with technology, they can then just follow the instructions, or if their parents sat with them, they can together work at, work it out together. So the idea is trying to really minimise the stress and um, having to figure things out by providing these, this is how this works, and this is tutorial. And because it's on YouTube and we have you know a channel, it means that at any point they're confused or they want to refresh, they can always go back and watch these tutorials. So I think that's been really helpful um, with families. But, you know, strategy is very quite simple. In terms of the PowerPoints, we've tried to keep everything to a minimum. So, you know, if you're giving instruction, it says step one, do this. Step two, click this. And trying to minimize how many pages they have to open. So if they're using a phone as a device, they're not having to keep having different tabs open to go onto different things. So it's trying to streamline everything onto one um one thing um another thing that we found um is 
with some families who are finding it extremely difficult, we've done you know phone calls or actually Zoom calls where you can share your screen and say, oh, this is how you do it. So it's been, you know, there's different levels. And for the ones that are really on the extreme side where they really don't know how to use it, it will be that um, direct call or uh, Zoom call. So that's how we've kind of tackled uh, families and supporting them so that they feel like, oh, yeah, this is quite a challenge, actually. I really struggled when I was, you know, doing this. But I can show you how to do it. And, creating this that it's okay we can help each other and this is not new to everyone so I think they've been quite open with having feedback or us helping them figure it out and once they do that it's it makes their life so much easier and yeah. they feel more successful it's, it's that just in time applied learning piece isn't it really being able to break things down into something that's very very manageable um, both from a time perspective, but also just being able to get onto it straight away. Um, I, I've got uh, Rachel from Team. She's also like to chip in on this. Rachel, perhaps you can share your thoughts. Yeah, so I think in a similar way uh, to Harpreet as creating those little tutorial videos uh, for pupils to be able to work out what it is that they need to do. I think what we've seen, um, which has just been so so exciting and to see, is that our pupils have actually been creating little tutorial videos to help each other. Uh, and that's our, that's our year fours that just get on and they use the classroom stream to respond to each other's questions that they have and they create little screencast videos and then share them. So whenever there is a problem, uh, so this morning it was that the work wasn't there or if, you know, if something did go wrong or they were wondering, okay, how do I export my Adobe Spark video that I've created and I don't know how to upload it? Even if we pop those videos on, the pupils would then go in and find the video or create their own and just show how to do something. And I think that's been a big highlight for us is actually just seeing how quick it is to empower them to be able to take that technology and use it uh, to help one another. Yeah, the, the, the concept of digital leaders really isn't, isn't a new one, is it? But it's amazing at how um, by, by sharing that, that responsibility and in empowering children um, to, to, to help each other and also to and the, the teachers as well, um, the, the, the impact that that can have. Um, so thank, thanks very much for those insights on that. Um, we're going to take a, a, a moment now. Um, my colleague Sai is going to post a poll for us all to participate in. And hopefully this gets some of those creative juices flowing in terms of your thoughts for other questions that you might want to ask the panel. And this is just for funsies. Um, but ha- perhaps um, you, you can all contribute your uh, your votes and we can see over the course of the next couple of minutes where where this, this ends up lying. And in the meantime, it's interesting that we, we started talking about impact because there's two questions that have basically been dovetailed off of each other asking the same thing. And I'm going to start with my colleague, um, Alistair Gitner, who's uh, one of the, the, the other de- the teachers and educators at one of the demonstrator schools in Sheffield, who, who's uh, said that, one thing that he's finding is that schools who have begun to develop strategies are now wanting to evaluate them, um, particularly those um, with, with, for uh, that where, where there's a varied skill set amongst staff. So perhaps the team has any suggestions around how to help schools to evaluate progress or um, how to, to maybe think about how this is an evolving process and how they can improve their strategies over time. Um, rather than you know just being wedded to a particular strategy that's cr- been created somewhat in haste in response to obviously these challenges. So just to sort of make that question a bit more succinct, 
do and I, you know actually i'm inviting any of the the, the demonstrator schools to, to to raise their hand um how have you begun to think about helping to evaluate the the approach that you're taking yeah often with the schools but with any cycle of an um, action particularly with technology we can talk about a cycle of innovation and how you might be looking to solve a particular problem and that we need to look at how we evaluate that problem um, and that often leads to your next cycle of innovation because you we we had a knee-jerk reaction to something for lots of people and um you know learned from our mistakes in many ways with this and we didn't have you know we had we had to take risks make decisions to evaluate um and to then improve i think the great thing about the ed tech demonstrates program is that the um those of us on the program have been through that iterative process many times before. Mm-hmm. So we're able to then look um, to what is next for them. So what is your next desired outcome mm-hmm. and how do we then adapt your actions or how do we then um, adopt some different uh, training pathways for different teachers or um, you know different leaders to help then start the process again? Yeah. And I think I would just add as well that I think lots of schools will have, as, you, as you've alluded to, jumped onto a certain, you know, operating system or device at this stage. And actually, you know, six months from now, a year from now, you don't want to still be lumbered with something that isn't actually effective for you in the longer term vision. So I think we as EdTech demonstrator schools have to support colleagues to say, actually, we're going to pause on that particular decision because it wasn't the direction that's right for us in the long term. And I think we can support them to then assess what is right for them. And I, you know, I think that it's it's OK to say that we went down the wrong avenue first let's reverse and go a different way and I think there's no point in pressing on just because they've made a decision in a very difficult and stressful time without then you know with a little bit more reflection actually thinking about what's valuable for the long term. That's that's fascinating and it, it actually chimes very um, very neatly into this idea of innovation culture and I mean typically we think of innovation being very much wedded in sort of startup life Right. But um, I I see more and more how, you know, schools are essentially kind of operating in their own sort of startup environments now where you're having to try new things. You're having to try things very fast and you're not often being afraid to fail fast. And that's one of the key learnings from sort of startup culture. And, you know, I think it's important to, to recognize that innovation is a continuum of experimentation. You should be thinking about how you are actually going to check whether you're uh, you're meeting your milestones and then you know when you get to those milestones well, what 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 is your learning from the previous two months or three months and then how can you then iterate and apply that learning to the next sprint or cycle right um so hopefully that's answered a couple of quick questions uh, or a couple of questions from the from the audience and i'm really encouraging you to think about some other questions to ask the panel because we we have a a number of questions but we're actually really really keen to hear from you guys um as you may or, or may not have seen we have the poll in progress and it definitely uh is is, is quite telling um the question is what's the most important what's most important to you for september and at the moment more face-to-face contact time with students is coming out as um as as the trailblazing leader what do we think that means in the context of, of, of the new norm and this blended hybrid learning approach. So I wonder whether I could ask um, Graham to maybe talk about 
um, what, 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 what they're going to be doing as far as um, addressing contact time with pupils um, in this, these scenarios where some students just aren't simply aren't going to be able to make it to school. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, our understanding of the phrase face-to-face has changed over time as well. And actually, perhaps historically, face-to-face meant every child in school, uh, you know, at a table. Um, whereas actually now, face-to-face can be done in, in, in kind of different ways. Perhaps that could be more virtual. Um, just to kind of give you a bit of an overview of, of our thinking around this, and this is very much uh, just to say that it's our current thinking, and this is constantly uh, changing and, and, and uh, tweaking based on, on, on what we know. Um, so like lots of schools, I guess, we're, we're expecting the vast majority of our children to return to school in September. But also, we're also aware we've got a number of extremely clinically vulnerable children uh, across the trust that perhaps won't be able to come back to school in September. And our current thinking has has evolved into what provision can we put in place for those children that should be getting our best, poss- best possible practice um, to ensure that those children are the most vulnerable, aren't missing out at all. Uh, a few things what we've done is we've been doing a bit of a hybrid learning trial recently. Um, I realise that makes it sound really impressive. Uh, what that really means is that we've been trialling teaching children at home and children in school using, we use Google Meet, but I'm sure you can do it on lots of different platforms. Uh, and we've been looking at what that might look like for uh, as, as a model. Uh, I, I totally agree with Chris's um, comment about the community is looking for more face-to-face contact. And I think that is our number one priority. However, it's also about recognising that that isn't always going to be possible. Um, we, we involved our children very, very early on in this. In fact, they effectively designed our hybrid learning trial and we spoke to them about what is important, what does help you learn, what are you missing out on, what are you... Um, what have you not enjoyed about lockdown, etc. Um, and one of the things that they said very clearly was that they're missing, they are missing that contact, that relationship between staff and pupils. Um, and so we are, we are planning a model at the moment in September that we will be able to do a hybrid approach to our teaching and learning, where children at home, or arguably not even at home, wherever perhaps they might be residing at the moment, can engage with the same lesson, same learning that the children in school are doing. Clearly, this isn't to say that this is to replace uh, face-to-face teaching but it's about putting a solution in place um, and we, we've learned a lot uh, you know I come from a teaching background and I didn't realize until yesterday how much I appreciated uh, sort of non-verbal language in a classroom and suddenly doing it on me I didn't get any of that and I suddenly thought you pick up on that child that's perhaps slouching in their chair and perhaps not engaged but on Google Meet you don't have that you don't have that insight so I learned an awful lot about uh, about my own teaching style and actually things that I perhaps took for granted and suddenly realized yesterday afternoon that I haven't got this to go to go on and it's it's very different so I think it's about being creative about it it's about recognizing that the, the learning we provide and the connections that we provide for children are essential and um, we're really excited to see what our hybrid learning trial um, might evolve and what that might look like come September because it's definitely not um, sort of a, a tried and tested and a perfect solution, but it's, it's a start to a, a conversation about how we can deliver the best possible provision for all of our children. Um, I wonder whether I can ask uh, the SLTs on, on the call as well, how are they approaching um, the, 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 the challenge of in increasing face-to-face contact uh, or, or just general teacher-student uh, contact during um, these kind of unprecedented times? I know, I know Cassie and Rory have got... Um, you know, definitely views on this and be keen to get Ed's views as well. And who, who would like to go first? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to, to, to go. I mean, I, I think that sounds amazing, what, what Graham's describing. I do, I do think that it's really challenging for schools to be delivering both a remote offer and an in-person offer. And our experience has been that it's pretty difficult to combine the two at the same time. And so our planning for September involves 
um, you know, working very hard to get everyone back into school, um, but also planning um, for how we will deal with a group needing to quarantine or and so on. And for us, that involves, you know, using the, the Oak resources. And there's been some really good webinars this week where they've been kind of presenting what those resources look like and sort of having having those things kind of ready to go so that we could, you know, in a couple of hours, put onto our platforms those those resources so that we can continue to focus on what will then be, you know, 95% of the school who are still in the classroom and in, in the building. I think it's, I think it's tough. We, we found it really much, much more challenging since the 1st of June. You know, before the 1st of June, when we didn't have very many pupils at all, we just had our key worker pupils and our most vulnerable. We were primarily operating on a remote basis and we, um, and we kind of mastered that and got on with that. When we've since, when we've been bringing back more and more pupils and the uncertainty and the kind of change that that has brought, it's been much more challenging, I think, emotionally as well and kind of organisationally to be offering a real quality in both. And so for us, a key thing is kind of having a plan and making sure that that we're we're in a place to kind of move quickly and without too much stress um, into a remote offer, having, you know, where we've needed to, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I, I, I guess... Well, I'm interested to see how that that chimes or dovetails in with, with what Rory and Cassidy might have to offer on this point as well, around face to face contact and the challenges in in the context of a September return. Yeah, so our, our uh, like I think all the educators on the call, our main drive is that we're going to get as many children back into school every day as we can. Um, we do, as I think most schools have, some children that that won't be possible for for some various reasons. But I think our key thing is that what we are providing in the classroom has to mirror what's on offer at home. So we've uh, here decided across the federation that we're going to appoint a member of senior leadership who is solely responsible for collating the the lesson planning. So we're we're talking on a number here of probably less than 20 children so that 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 leader's job is to co- collaborate and um, collate the materials um, and a little bit like we've heard earlier and and publish them at the same time as the lessons are happening so that the content is right for those children because the devices are at home and, and to be very fair that's something that we've trialed this academic year it's new for us but because those devices are going to be at home the children will have the tech that they need to to join in I'd love to say confidently that we're going to have children dialing in on Google Meet calls and, and sort of being on screen in the classroom with their teacher. And it's certainly something we're going to try, but we've yet to see the success of that and also mm. the impact of that on the children's progress. So, yeah, our, our mission at the minute really is, is encouraging those reluctant families who are very anxious to get the children into school. And then, as I said, putting in a, a member of the leadership team in each school uh, on the job of actually collating and, and ensuring that consistency of offer. I think alongside that, what's important is that all of your um, key stakeholders share the same message. So if we're using, if we're looking at that face-to-face contact now, our video calls that we do with our children or our welfare phone calls that we do to check in on them, they they have helped us to increase the number of children in school. Because as Graham said, that connection is really important. And as there might have been families that are apprehensive to return to school or um, you know, want to wait a bit and, and see see how it looks before they send their children in, the, the face-to-face contact through a video call with groups of children has really helped to motivate them to 
to either come into school or to to better engage in their learning at home and um, that's why that element is so important and even for those children that are unable to join to join us they still get that connection um, and, we, and we do that through those video calls. Thanks very much Cassie. Um, so that actually leads on quite neatly into the next question which I'm going to pose to Tim. Actually this is this is two questions coming from, from Danielle. Um, so, so Danielle's asked, have schools on the panel given IT to children or loaned it? Have you used your own budgets or found funding from elsewhere? And um, how have you dealt with digital exclusion? What methods have helped to, to address this? Um, I'll, I'll start with Tim and then maybe we'll, we'll get some other views as well. Um, so we initially didn't send any devices home but we had our weekly phone calls. So teachers are ringing students and asking them, how are you going logging into Shobi? How's that working for you? And quite quickly, we identified the families where um, either their internet's not working, that actually was only a bare handful of families, but mostly it was, we're sharing a device between, you know, three kids or we're trying to do it on the phone or, so there was an an issue with not enough devices. So at that point, we basically um, scraped together some iPads from around the school and just started sending them home. So, They'd come in, sign for them, take them home, and then they can access the learning resources there. Um, yeah, so we just used devices that we had within the school and um, to to do that really, and that that had made a, a big difference actually because you can then you can then just overcome that kind of the last 15 percent of those families that just are not engaging or not able to access the learning. I mean, there are some families that have, have, we haven't been able to reach in that way, but because we're we're phoning home as well, they're able to connect in that way but um yeah it, it has been important to send the devices home but i think there's it's quite surprising the number of families that do already have enough computers to go around mm-hmm. maybe i can come to ed on this 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 same question uh, as an all through school um from from reception right through to sixth form um how have you dealt with uh the the sort of range of digital inclusion uh, exclusion challenges across the different year sets and segments yeah, I, I mean, I think I think the, I think the key thing is 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 really understanding exactly the nature of the problem, um, and so um, in in many cases, at the core of it is a is a question of um, sort of access to devices within a within a family and within a household. So often there is a device, but the problem is if you've got two or three children, kind of managing it within that is really challenging. And that's and and that's quite different to absolutely no kind of internet access. Um, the other thing that we found is that we have started to order, you know, to order kind of uh, internet broadband. But if a family doesn't have a, a landline, that's really challenging. And so I think the key thing has been making sure that we we understand precisely the nature of the problem and then think about the solution. And it is true to say that for four or five families, we made a decision to effectively kind of categorize them as as vulnerable um, and bring them into school earlier than we would otherwise have done because of the challenges of the digital inclusion. So where we've been able to give a hand out a device, get a route, get a router, you know, those sorts of things, we've done it. But in some cases, what's worked best actually is to get those children back into the building earlier and, and enable them to learn that way. Thanks for that, Ed. And then in terms of those sorts of devices that you need to procure, that, that's come from sort of school budgets or you've been able to find funding elsewhere. 
Anything to say on that point? Yeah, we 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 approached local businesses, and we we had thirty devices kind of donated from local businesses, mm-hmm. um, a mix of kind of tablets and some kind of some 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 laptops, uh, and then everything else has come from the school budget. Yeah. So, so I guess the 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 natural question on that is top tips for engaging third parties that have nothing to do with the school, like these local businesses. Well, well, well. One thing I think is, you know, when we got the first, we got we got five from one person, and then we put that a lot on social media from one company and thank that company. And then we wrote again with kind of screenshots of the thanks from the other people. And so I've tried to create a bit of a sort of sense of energy there. Um, I, I think, I think, I think there was a moment where it was very current. Um, and so I, I do think local going to local businesses is helpful and sort of not, and sort of naming, you know, there are, we have a particular number of families. So being quite specific in the ask, we have a particular number of families um, and sort of, um, who are struggling this is the nature of the struggle being quite specific and this is what the the difference that support would make uh, that that has worked well for us thanks very much for that Ed. and and i think i'm, I'm going to just stay with you for a second and, and maybe come to to rory and cassie as well um before uh, asking the, the rest of the panel their, their views can, can you tell us like what what's been some of the most rewarding or challenging aspects of being a leader during these remote learning times? Um, well, I think it's been difficult to switch off, hasn't it? Everyone's had that experience, I feel like. And, and I think the the number of decisions, like I, I've, I've got sort of decision-making fatigue, you know, I think the number of decisions that need to be made has been really challenging and not knowing, um, not having a kind of roadmap for those things. I do think... Um, I do think that this period has been, and, and I don't feel like this has been maybe captured enough, has been very, very experienced very, very differently for different people. And it's been quite unpredictable to know who is having a really difficult time um, and who actually has been able to kind of manage this better. And that depends on family circumstances, particularly, I think, financial circumstances for families, but also health and sense of social isolation and so on. And so I think it's been particularly rewarding for us as a community to identify, you know, for those families where we've been able to provide that stability and that support and to know that that's kind of made a difference. And then I think when, as people start to come back into school, that's been fantastic to be able to reconnect. Rory and Cassie, I'll come to you next. Uh, what would have been some of your most rewarding um, or challenging aspects and challenging aspects perhaps? I think I'll start with the challenging and I think it's really echoing what Ed said there but I think for for us as leaders here at Shackwell it's it's knowing those families that you know on a piece of paper or a pupil premium or free school meals or whatever category they might fall into but seeing what this has done to them in in terms of the poverty that they actually live with on a daily basis where they just about get by and then seeing that when that income goes because they've been furloughed or they've been um, you know been unable to attend work for various different reasons that's been very very difficult for us as a school and I think it's been it's been amazing that we've been able to support them but it's also really hard now to know that we have to move forward and they have to move forward and and it's it's going to be a difficult battle for lots of us but I think also just uh, again echo what Ed was saying that the getting the pupils 
pulled back into the building on the 1st of June was was absolutely high. And it's been really, really great to see that number increase over over the week since then. And, you know, we're now almost at half capacity here in terms of children attending every day. So we're very proud of that. Mm. Um, and I think equally the, the teachers, I mean, across um, all three schools that we have, and I'm sure the same would be said by the other, other educators, but the teachers have been incredibly flexible and willing to support and, you know, turn on a knife edge around the, the different mm. things they're expected to do one day to the next. So I think that the, the morale and the spirit and the sort of dedication to support these families and these children has just been absolutely uh, phenomenal from from the staff yeah we're such a service-driven community and everyone wants to um do what they can for the family yeah. so having the um connection with your class teacher be that through you know our, our key stage one and earlier teachers have built whole websites to share stories and 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 work with children to keep that connection um, and the phone calls and the video calls with our children as well and then we we've got our teachers you know, pleading with us in our office that these children need to come back to school and that mm. they've convinced this parent that, um, you know, that they can come in early, have a look around the school, the child can have a look around the school site to see how safe it is to put the parents' mind at ease that the children can come back. And we've got a week and a half left of school and we still we still have new pupils attending as um, families that are taking up the offer because our teachers are so persistent that that they need to be back in school because our job as teachers is done best in the, in the classroom with the children there. So, so maybe I can ask you guys just to, to continue to riff for a second and, and, and answer. How, how, are you, how are you working with school leaders and teachers that are engaging with the EdTech Demonstrators programme? Um, in, so we, I think we, we, we sort of have a process that we go through with them. We have initial conversations with the um, the um link person from that school and we've been very lucky and most of those link people have been uh, members of senior leadership teams but if on that first initial conversation someone from the senior leadership team is not there then we will ask for a second conversation with the senior leadership with someone from the senior leadership team Mm -hmm. because we've spoken you know lots of us have spoken at length about how important it is that it's part of a wider Mm -hmm. senior leader strategy and that you you need that buy-in from your senior leadership team um and then again what people have have kind of said is looking at what what is the purpose of your engagement with us what do you want to um achieve for your teaching and learning um and how is your environment set up for that when when that discussion has taken place there'll be then a series of actions um and and objectives for the the longevity of the project Mm -hmm. That might include a series of webinars for a team. It might include some help creating a digital strategy. Um, or we've done um, quite a few calls where we might demo to a leadership team. This is this is where you can get to. This mm-hmm. is this is our journey. This is where you can get to. But now let's start very small and and build up to that. And that then might lead to some training sessions with some middle leaders to help implement that in their school as well. I think the most challenging but most exciting part of the EdTech programme thus far is the, the managing the expectations of what can be achieved. So I think everybody who signs up is really passionate and they've all got a real drive to get this up and running. But I think it's our job as, as the as EdTech schools is to, to sort of re- reiterate all these points we've said in this in this session and really remind them that slow and steady and, and 
well thought through change is much more valuable than just chucking a load of iPads into the classroom. And I think that's been, you know, sometimes they're a little bit disappointed, but actually they, they know in the long run, once we explain it, that that's where the impact's going to come from. So mm-hmm. I'm seeing some, some heads nodding from, from, the, from the rest of the panel. I wonder whether anybody <laughs> else has got, got some ideas on that. I mean, for, for me, you know, innovation doesn't happen in days and weeks. Often it's months and years, right? Um, that, that, that's the kind of nature of, of that, that space. But, I mean, it, perhaps Tim or, or Graham or Rachel have got some some thoughts on um, the ways that you're beginning to work with the schools that you're supporting during the programme. I mean, uh, what Cassie Rory was sharing about working with the senior leadership is is important because there's no point working with the, the IT coordinator to develop the school's vision for IT if the head is like, no, we're not doing that. So that's, yeah, that's that's important. And I think it is, it's developing what's... What's your vision? What are you trying to accomplish? Because once you've got that sorted out, you can then figure out, well, how are we going to get there? And you, and it does involve um, small steps. You know, you would like, it would be great if it could all be done overnight, but actually it's, you know, overnight successes take 10 years. So <laughs> it's going to take a while and hopefully we can accelerate people through that process, through learning from other people's mistakes, but um, it, it takes time. Indeed. I think it's it's worth just sort of adding on the back of uh, what Tim said um, that for us our sort of support has been going from the sense of starting small and getting uh, getting schools to really think about what it is that they're trying to look at right now uh, and then as well as looking at that bigger picture as well because we know that schools are in such a difficult time right now. So for the schools that we have been supporting, it's very much thinking about those quick wins that they can have access to, whether that's talking through how uh, we've been able to get schools to sort of being able to have a meet with their class and have a video conference, which they hadn't been able to have, you know, they hadn't been able to see their pupils back since February. So opening those opportunities up for schools to be able to do that was a huge win. Uh, We know that a lot of the schools that we work with came back with that and we're really happy to have those quick little wins. And now it's actually thinking, okay, what are those long-term goals that we want to achieve during this program and, and how can we get there? Because we've got schools that are coming to us that are completely beginner. They've got no technology at all uh, and are very much just getting accounts set up for the very first time on the cloud. And then we have other schools that have sort of started to put things in place either pre-lockdown or during lockdown. And it's very much a huge continuum of where schools are at and it's very much just working with them where they're at and continuing to support in any way that we can, whether that's through webinars or trainings um, or even just those difficult conversations to have in terms of what devices do I go for, what platform do I go for and I know that that's been a lot of the chat that's been happening in the background is, you know, why did why did schools choose Google or Microsoft or Apple and, and how do you go about supporting devices and, and internet access and that's the conversations that we're able to support with obviously having um, gone through those and the panel will obviously be able to sort of jump in on that but I think that's something we've all been looking at because we have gone through those difficult uh, challenges already. Yeah it's it's I think in part it's about understanding what are the right questions to ask in the first place and and then you know being able to work with people such as yourselves that have had to ask or face those questions and answers um, already. Um, yeah, th- th- this is all fascinating insights, guys. Um, so I'm, I'm quite conscious of time and, you know, it's, it's amazing how quickly time flies 
when you're having having fun. Um, and so I, I want to now sort of reflect and project um, into to what what's coming next. Obviously, we've got uh, a well and incredibly well deserved uh, rest uh, coming up for, for most of you, I'm sure. And I, I want to ask the panel uh, one by one to maybe give some not closing thoughts, because hopefully this is the beginning of a, of a series of sessions that we're going to run with London Demonstrator Schools. But I'd like you know to you to pose some some ideas and some thoughts about um, what needs to be considered as part of the rollout plans that your schools are going through for September and for schools that you're working with during the EdTech Demonstrator Program. Perhaps I can I'll start with Graham. Yeah, and I actually um, don't think it's different for us as a as a supporting school or for the schools that have been supported. And I think. What is for me anyway, um, just say that in case everyone disagrees. Uh, what's really important here is that we focus on our schools as organizations, really understanding what sort of school and what the organizations are that we serve and thinking what it is we want to do to support those children. And I think there are lots of ifs and buts come September. We, you know, we, we might have an idea what was going to happen, but actually sort of, I don't know, eight, eight weeks away is quite a long time and a lot can happen and a lot can change in that time. So I think for schools it's to, you know, remain grounded in reality of what their school is like, what's, what the needs are of the organisation and making sure that whatever we about in terms of policy design or curriculum design or staffing structures, where we stick to our kind of, stick to our morals about us as an organisation and what we want to be and what education we want to provide. And as I sort of alluded to earlier, sort of try wherever possible to, to blare out the noise um, that's going on uh, in the background and just really focus on what's our main objective that we want to deliver to deliver the best possible teaching and learning for all of the children within our school or schools. Uh, Rachel, have you got anything else to add to that um, from Jean? Sorry. Yeah, I, th I think, you know, to echo what Graham just said, I think he summed it up perfectly. But just to add that, you know, our pupil well-being is, is so important and it definitely sort of refocused during COVID. And I think going forward, we still need to keep that in mind if, you know, if things do come back down into lockdown. Um, so, you know, I think all of those things are so important to, to consider, um, but also for schools that are thinking, should I get started? Should I reach out and, and sign up to the EdTech Demonstrator? Uh, just sign up because you have that channel with another school that you can get support through uh, and you can ask these questions so you don't need to do it on your own um, and ultimately just start somewhere because you're not going to get anywhere if, if you don't make a change uh, and we expect our learners to, to change constantly and to adapt and continue to learn uh, and that's definitely our role as educators and leaders in schools. Thank you very much, Rachel and, and Graham and Chain. Now, I'd like to come to, to Ed and Harpreet as well, if that's okay. Um, how are you uh, looking at, at September differently? Uh, are you looking at September differently? And what top tips can you, can you provide for, for a successful September, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the, the key thing is to focus in on the classroom. And I think it's tempting with with everything that's been going on and with talk of tutoring and extra funding and all of this ultimately you know we think that the things that we do best uh, is teaching and in the classroom teaching and so helping our teachers to get back to doing that as normally and as uh, as possible is key um, and I think we're going to 
spend the first term really trying to make sure that our classrooms are working well and really kind of um, being curious about the experience that our pupils have had and are having and and not take too many big decisions I think um, yeah that's our that's our first that's our first priority Harpreet what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think as a class teacher, I think the key priority is to make sure that the children are well and that they have a space to talk about their experiences, but also hear from others how they have got on because, you know, bearing in mind some children haven't interacted with other children for months. Um, And then the second thing is in terms of, you know, the academic and catching them up, I think the main focus is to help our children feel successful when they return to school because they're going to be quite anxious about returning and probably um, develop, you know, some sort of fears or anxiety about not being good enough or failing and, you know, making mistakes. So it's trying to um, probably develop that positive mindset about learning and what, you know, good learning practices look like and a big focus on helping them feel successful so that they enjoy being back at school. And once we have that engagement and enjoyment, then I think that's when we can start moving forwards and thinking more about, you know, the academic and everything else. Thanks, Harpreet. It's... um very aspirational inspirational stuff um, for certain um tim why don't I, I come to you how 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 are things looking in heronsgate and um with all the work you're doing from from your sort of training and teacher uh, sort of development aspects and then yeah w- w- what sort of advice can you give um i think we're, we're just going to keep paying attention to what's working and what's not working and then just making changes as you go. Like that's definitely been our process during lockdown as we try things and then we just keep that working. What, what tweaks can we make? And then if it is working to kind of roll it out so that there's that consistency of good practice and we'll just carry on doing that. So, you know, September, it's a, it's a bit of an unknown, but we're going to um, just keep tweaking and making kind of, you know, adjusting the sales, as it were, to make sure we're keeping on moving forwards. And I suppose that's my advice to everyone is to to really pay attention to your context and not just think this big, huge, magical solution will fix everything because it probably won't. And actually, you need to be you need to know what your school is like and what problems you're trying to fix, and then find a good solution to fix those problems for your school. Like, so it it might be that you adopt a solution that other people aren't, or it might be that you adopt what everyone else is doing. But you just gotta just be aware of what your school is, what its problems are, and work towards finding good solutions. Thanks very much, Tim. And, and then certainly last but by no means least, Rory and Cassie from Shacklewell. How, how are you addressing September and, and your final thoughts and tips and advice? So I think our big thing uh, coming out of um, the sort of technology use of a lockdown has been that we've realised and recognised that there's a, um, a, a gap in parental understanding of how to use devices for learning and unfortunately in some instances safely. So we have really got to address that. Um, and we're doing work before the summer holiday, but it's going to be a real push for us that because these devices are going home and that these families are going to be, you know, children will be on these screens potentially more than they would be in an, an average week. The families and the, the, the parents need to know how to um, use the safety features, ensure that there's not inappropriate access and all of those things. So we're really trying to upskill our families with um, webinar content and, and sort of published materials to encourage them to allow the children to use the devices, but to do so in a responsible and safe way as they would do at school. Yeah, I, definitely. That, that online safety 
more than ever um but also with with the parents in the past we you know we run parent sessions all the time like how to join google classroom what you need to do with your um with your children to stay safe on and, and our uptake's always been quite small um but they are now you know really eager to get some support from us because they've had these experiences they haven't necessarily enjoyed it when they've not known what to do and they really want to help their children and mm. we want to help manage the risk for children so the more that they're using technology and um, the more we will um make sure that they can take those risks and that all of those people involved in it know how to help them to be safe with it too thanks very much guys i, I think that's a really nice place to sort of end on and poignant thoughts around you know looking to the future um i, I guess in terms of sort of my closing sort of remarks and thoughts for for where we are and where we're going is that you know first of all i think everybody that's here on this session today uh, audience included needs to be congratulated for such a fantastic job that you've been doing over the, the weeks and the months and the years that you've been teachers um you know you, you guys really are the trailblazers in your profession you're having to adapt very very um quickly and dynamically to these the, these um you know changing challenges and these changing times um, you know, I think it's important to recognize, you know, your work and, and, and to sort of thank you for that. Um, you know, your, your work is going to impact millions of children around the country this year, next year, and, um, in, in, in generations to come, I'm sure. So, um, without, uh, rest on that point too, too much, I'd like to thank all the panel for taking the time out this afternoon and to contributing all of their thoughts and, and wisdom. Um, the program is open and available for for all schools and colleges to to, to explore, and and hopefully um, if you're in the London area, uh, you'll have a chance to speak with myself and and the colleagues that are here on the panel today. I'm sure that we'll be joining uh, forces again and coming back and sharing some more uh, insights and wisdom when we return after the summer. Um, but in the meantime, I, I hope that you all have a restful summer break. Um, you recuperate and you take take stock of all that you've achieved over the last few months and um, are looking forward to to what's coming um, as, as of the next school year. But uh, that, that's all that we have today. And, and thank you very much. Um, we'll, we'll be making a note of all of the questions and where possible, we'll try to answer them either in a blog post or perhaps on social media. Um, so do please join and follow and keep abreast of all of our updates and yeah we look forward to, to seeing you very very soon thank you very much goodbye guys that's all for this episode thanks so much for listening in everyone if you like this episode please rate and review wherever you get your podcast from and what else if you want to share your message why not place an ad in our upcoming episodes you can drop us an email at the edtechpodcast at gmail.com for upcoming events competitions funding and more sign up to our newsletter but otherwise do try and have fun if you can during these testing times and sending you uh, all our very best wishes take care bye bye